Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Paralegal Voice here on Legal Talk Network. I'm Carl Morrison, a certified paralegal devoted to law and your host of the Paralegal Voice. I'm a certified paralegal and paralegal educator, and I'm devoted to not only the paralegal profession, but to all legal professionals, from legal support professionals to paralegals to those whom we support, attorneys. I'm devoted to helping others enhance their passion and dedication for the paralegal profession through entertaining and engaging interviews. Before we begin, we would like to thank our sponsor, NALA. NALA is a professional association for paralegals providing continuing education, voluntary certification, and professional development programs. NALA has been a sponsor of the Paralegal Voice since our very first show. And CourtFiling.net. E-file court documents with ease in California, Illinois, Indiana, and Texas. To learn more, visit CourtFiling.net to take advantage of a free 30-day trial. And ServeNow, a nationwide network of trusted pre-screen process servers. Work with the most professional process servers who have experience with high-volume serves, who embrace technology and understand the litigation process. Visit ServeNow.com to learn more. And finally, Legal Inc. Legal Inc. makes it easy for paralegals to digitally automate tasks like business formations, corporate filings, and registered agent services nationwide. Visit LegalInc.com slash podcast today to create your free account. The goal of the Paralegal Voice is to discuss a wide range of topics important to the paralegal industry and share with you leading trends, significant developments, and resources you'll find helpful in your career and everyday job. My guests will be engaging and informational with, of course, longtime listeners, you know, there's always going to be a little bit of fun thrown in. So today I have a really great guest with me, and we're going to talk about one of my most favorite topics. Um, my guest is a lawyer. He's an educator, and of course, he's a fan of the show. Today, we have Keith Shannon. He's a paralegal faculty member of Central Piedmont Community College in Charlotte, North Carolina. Keith, thank you so much for joining me today on today's show. Great, Carl. Thank you for asking me. I'm really excited. I know you're excited about this topic. I'm excited about it. So I'm thrilled to have Keith on our show today. And like I said, Keith is a lawyer in Charlotte, North Carolina. And more importantly, I think, (laughs) I'm biased. So um, Keith is a paralegal faculty member with Central Piedmont, like I said. And before we get into the meat and potatoes of our topic today, which is all about the importance of ethics for paralegals, Keith, why don't you tell the listeners a little bit about yourself and really how you came to get involved with the paralegal profession, being that you're a lawyer? Well, uh, first, I guess a little about myself. I'm, I'm from the hills of eastern Kentucky. That's where I grew up and went to school and, and went to law school and um, had an undergraduate in journalism and, a, and a, a law degree and then actually got a master's in journalism from Marshall University as well. But when I got out of law school, I started practicing in eastern Kentucky and all sorts of, you know, it was a general practice firm. So we did a little bit of everything. And and in that little firm, in that little tiny town, I got exposed to some tremendous paralegals. One of my paralegals I used to call Radar O'Reilly. She would just (laughs) have things done before I even told her to get things done. I mean, she was... She was amazing, and and so and 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 other paralegals as well. And so I, I was exposed to great paralegal 
work early on. We ended up moving, after I got married, we ended up moving to South Carolina for my wife's education. She did her medical residency in Charleston, South Carolina. So uh, we moved here, had to take another bar exam, no reciprocity, but uh, I practiced in, in Charleston for a while, then we moved here near Charlotte. And when we moved here, I actually found myself as an at-home dad for a while with my two daughters. And as a way to keep my sanity and also, you know, get out and see the world occasionally beyond the, the diaper pail, I started <laughs> teaching part-time. And that led me to Central Piedmont Community College. And there was a full-time slot that opened up 18 years ago. This is my 18th year teaching. And I took it and just fell in love with teaching and fell in love with specifically the education of paralegals. Uh, since then, I've gotten to see, since I've been there so long, I've gotten to see some of my students really get into the industry and do a great job. And I've been able to talk to the attorneys that they've been able to help. And it's just been really rewarding. And it's just an adventure. And I, I really believe in the paralegal profession and in what they can do for the public and, and for the legal profession. You are a man after my own heart, because that just, it, it makes me feel <laughs> wonderful to know that, and you're not an anomaly by any means. There are attorneys out there that truly do recognize and see the benefit of, you know, properly utilizing a paralegal. So, you know, thank you for giving back um, to not only the legal industry, but uh, to paralegals by helping educate, which is a, a huge, huge thing. I'm, I'm a huge proponent of education. And so to know that you're out there uh, helping paralegals as well. It, it means the world to me. So thank you. So let's start off the show. Like I said, we're talking about ethics. So we're going to talk first. I've got kind of a two-part question for you. So let's start off with the core basics, what I'm calling the core basics. At the 30,000-foot view, you know, what are ethics in the broadest sense? How would you define ethics in general? Wow. <laughs> That's not, a, that's not a small question. Um, you know, there, there aren't entire college courses and, and folks who have devoted their lives to, to answering that. But I guess to kind of if you look at a, a textbook definition, and, and this is sort of cheating because I teach a course in ethics, and believe it or not, that is the very first thing that we cover in ethics. That's the first thing in my outline. What, how, what's the definition of ethics? So you know, I'm, I'm ready for this one, because that's, that's basically the moral principles that govern someone's life and existence. That, that, that's the set of rules that don't change that you base your behavior on uh, whenever you do anything. That's the, those unchanging set of rules. So, you know, and I know that we could talk five years about what the study of ethics is, but in a nutshell, I think that's probably what it is. Right. And as a fellow educator, you know, that's you kind of have to start there um, to help students understand the, the core basics of, of what the definition of, of ethics means. So let's apply that definition then to why do ethics really matter in the legal industry? You know, how can ethical decisions affect what I say is a paralegal's practice? Well, and, you know, it's funny because, again, that, that's a question that comes up, and, and it's amazing how consistent my students answer that question, how consistently they answer the question. 
And usually they point out um, the, the reason that ethics matter is really from a client's perspective. When a client comes to an attorney and a paralegal, that client may be in the most vulnerable position that they will ever be in. They're extremely vulnerable. They are possibly going to trust that attorney with confidential information that nobody else on the planet knows that they can't trust anybody else with. And they are they're trusting their lives, sometimes their future, sometimes their money, uh, and all this confidential information to this one person. And a breach of ethics, which includes a breach of confidentiality, includes a breach of competence. You know, you've got to be competent not only from a malpractice standpoint, but actually from an ethical standpoint. A slip-up in ethics or a difference in, in the ethical perspective from one attorney to the other, as opposed to a uniform ethical perspective, can wreak havoc with a client's life, a client's money, or those confidences, or a client's future, a client's freedom, if it's a criminal case. So it's a pretty heavy responsibility, and it's all tied up with those ethics rules. And so the attorneys and the paralegals have to be able to follow these ethical principles in order to protect the client and in order to kind of give, uh, basically give honor to what the client has entrusted to the attorney and the paralegal. You know, you, you can look at like the medical profession and, you know, of course, the medical profession also has a code of ethics. And, and I always tell students that you have to look at it almost from the aspect of the client is like a patient. The attorney is like a doctor. The paralegal is like the nurse. And it's important that you understand that the, the decisions that you make um, – the ethical decisions can truly affect, like you just said, your client's livelihood, if it's a business situation, their freedom, their life in a criminal aspect. And so you you have to really stop and think about, you know, applying those rules, and we'll, we'll talk here in a second about um, the rules out there and the, the code of ethics uh, that apply to us, but you have to think about those decisions that you make uh, and that they can truly affect someone in a very negative way that can really affect them the rest of their life. Yep, I, I agree. Uh, I think you're absolutely right. This is one of those, I think, uh, do not try this at home sort of things. You, you know, you really need to approach being a paralegal as a, a serious business and approach the ethics of being a paralegal as serious business. I tell students also, and you probably tell your students the same, that there are many shades of gray when it comes to the ethics. While we have rules and guidelines to help us understand where those guideposts are located, there are many different shades of gray. And... Um, you know, bumping up against that guidepost and, and teetering on that, crossing over uh, those ethical situations, again, can truly affect um, your client. 
I've shown you a video that I show my students, which I think sort of bears on what you just said, which is the reason we talk about ethics and teach students about ethics is so that they'll know when they get near that uh, that barrier where they're about to cross the line. Uh, I, I told you about this video that I use where I show my dog uh, and we are walking past an invisible fence, and I explained that, that teaching students about paralegal ethics is like that invisible fence in the sense that when they get near it, they'll get a signal that says, hey, you might be getting too close. You may cross over the line and violate the ethics rules. And the reason it's important to know those rules is so that you'll know when you're getting close to, to the line. You don't want to wait until you've crossed the line to realize that you're in trouble. So I think being familiar with this stuff is, is really important. Exactly right. I, I tell students I'm going to, you know, beat these ethical <laughs> rules into your head, <laughs> um, which is probably not the right thing to say to a student, but <laughs> um, it, to, to stress the importance. Yeah, it's probably not not real good form for them. But, it's, uh, it's all about the important ha- having them understand the importance of uh, um, ethics and having them understand that they are truly responsible as well as their attorney uh, when it comes to understanding and knowing those ethical rules. And talking about the responsibility, you know, of course, many of us, even new paralegals coming out or even in, in programs, you know, they learn about the ABA and the model rules of professional responsibility. And so the ABA, you know, define professional res- responsibility as, you know, the area of legal practice that encompasses the duties of attorneys to act in a professional manner, obey the law, avoid conflicts of interest, and put the interests of clients ahead of their own interests. So first, Again, I'm going to kind of step back and let's look at this from the 30,000-foot view. What is professional responsibility in that broad, broadest sense? How would you define it? Well, I, I think it's, and, and it's all bound up really in that, that definition, really. It, it really is putting yourself in the client's position. It's being responsible for not just the ethical rules. Well, it, it's the ethical rules, but for attorneys and paralegals, those ethical rules actually go beyond just plain old ethics. They go beyond doing the right thing. And they talk about really specific stuff, about how to advertise your law firm, about whether or not you can solicit clients, uh, about how how you handle a trust account, how often you have to to reconcile the checkbook. I mean, there's there's some really concrete things that are embedded in those rules as well. And I think, so if you, you look at the whole thing, not just the ethics, but also the concrete things that deal with how you, how you run your office and how people are supposed to do the things that they're supposed to do, I think that means professional responsibility. That's, that means respect for the clients, respect for the system, respect for your attorney and for the, the place that employs you. So it's it's a it's a really broad idea, I think. And you think that paralegals should have that same level of responsibility, right? That lawyers are supposed to follow. Yeah, yes. As a matter of fact, last night in class, I, I was talking to the class about. I said something about just because there's an ABA rule that says the attorney is charged with the responsibility of supervising you. Don't think that that somehow lets you off the hook. I said something to the effect of, don't forget, if there is a lawsuit for malpractice, 
and you're the person that committed the malpractice, the attorney is going to get named in the lawsuit, but there's nothing that prevents you from getting named as a defendant as well. And one of the students went, what? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And I thought, wow, maybe my ethics class, because this was not my ethics class that I I did this in, and I think the student had had my ethics class, and I thought, hmm, maybe I should go back and cover that again in ethics. But it it was news to to this student, and, and it shouldn't be, really. Uh, the the paralegal is just as responsible as the attorney to behave in a professional manner and to obey those ethics rules. So you mentioned professional manner. What does it mean to a paralegal to act in a professional manner? If we break down the ABA's definition, what does it mean to a paralegal act in a professional manner? Well, I think this is one of those questions where I, I think it's easy easier to answer when you start talking about what an unprofessional manner is. Mm-hmm. When, again, when a client comes in, uh, they are paying money. They, uh, in addition, again, to being very vulnerable and, and needing your help, they want to be treated with respect. They don't want to come in and uh, walk into an environment where they can hear, like paralegals or support staff, talking about other cases, talking about other clients, where they come in and there may be a file just laying on a desk that anybody could walk up and look at in terms of confidentiality. One of my pet peeves, and and I know all or a lot of law firms do this, is having the receptionist or having the person who's answering the telephone be the receptionist so that every call that comes through the office comes through the waiting room. So everybody who's sitting in the waiting room knows who has called the office because the receptionist is forwarding the calls and telling who who the the person on the phone is, sometimes telling the attorney what the nature of the call is right there in front of the everybody in the waiting room so i you know I think it's it's avoiding things like that, avoiding just a general unprofessional environment, making sure that the client feels as though they're they're being taken care of. And, and that doesn't mean being a stuffed shirt. That doesn't mean you can't have a casual Friday or, you know, be, be relaxed in your job or, you know, be friendly and, and stuff like that. But it means paying attention to those details that make sure that the client trusts your office to be respectful to them and to, to what they are bringing uh, to the attorney. And that's a great point. You hit the nail on the head is that it's more than – how you dress. Uh, it's more than um, showing up to work on time. While those are, are also very important um, attributes to ensure that you are professional, there are other things, and especially with what we're talking about when it comes to ethics, that everything that you just mentioned, that also plays into how you act in a truly professional manner. It's ensuring, going back to putting the interests of the client ahead of your own interests, that's it. That's how you act in a professional manner. So speaking of putting the interests of a client ahead of their own interests, so how can a paralegal put the interests of their client, their attorney's client, but it's their client as well because they're, they're helping serve the client ahead of their own interests? Really, isn't that something more for an attorney than not a paralegal? I mean, don't you think? <laughs> an 
and I know you're you're playing devil's advocate there. Uh, I am <laughs> <laughs> because because you know that that's that's not true. It's it's definitely for for the paralegal, and and you're a you're a paralegal, so you know that that in a lot of practices, the paralegal has more client contact than the attorney does, especially in in say a plaintiff's personal injury practice where. The client might be turning over medical bills constantly or constantly calling in or, or that sort of thing. So the way the paralegal behaves is going to reflect on the firm and is going to greatly affect the representation anyway. And, and the point is that sometimes paralegals have to do things that really they don't like to do. You know, you might have to call a client who really isn't very pleasant but you just want to keep in contact with that client and let them know how their case is doing. So, you you know, you suck it up and make the phone call. Or or may, another example might be a, an elder law practice where I know that everybody complains about young people not wanting to use the phone. They want to use email. And I, I don't know if that's true or not. Or, or they actually they, they want to text. But if you're in an elder law practice, chances are your clients are going to want to prefer phone calls instead of texts or emails. And, you know, maybe it's no fun for you to make phone calls, but if you're putting the client's interests above your own, you just go ahead and communicate with that client by phone because that's what they need, even though you don't like to do it. And even though you might think it's sort of inefficient and old-fashioned, um, I think that's an example of, of putting the client's interest before your own. And I do agree with you 110%. I was playing devil's advocate with you there. But um, I have two very dear friends that work in family law, and um, they truly do this statement. They do put the, the interest of the client you know, ahead of their own interests. They have to make those difficult calls. They have to when – and they deal with divorce and – um, actions. And there are days when they have certain clients that are calling them 27 times a day and, you know, it wears on them emotionally, but you suck it up. You, you know, be a professional, take their call, handle them because they're, you have to understand and have empathy, uh, for your client that they're going through a hard time. They're going through a grieving process. They're going through whatever the case may be. And, you know, they come first, uh, ahead of your own. Absolutely. Uh, I think, uh, you know, on a side note, anybody who can do family law anyway uh, deserves some sort of star in heaven, I think. I, <laughs> from my point of view, that's, that's a tough gig uh, because of the emotional strain. Well, I know that they listen to the show, so um, I know they are smiling as they are listening that uh, um, you are sending prayers up to heaven that they get a gold star. <laughs> and because I, I agree with you 110%. I don't know how they do it. I've done civil litigation, uh, insurance defense for a million years, and uh, I could never do family law. So um, they truly have the patience of Job and <laughs> strong backbones. <laughs> Well, Keith, you know, we could talk about this all day long. So um, we're going to give our listeners a quick break, commercial break. Um, so listeners, don't turn that dial. Stay tuned and we will be right back. Looking for a process server you can trust? ServeNow.com is a nationwide network of local pre-screen process servers. ServeNow works with the most professional process servers in the industry. 
connecting your firm with process servers who embrace technology, have experience with high volume serves, and understand the litigation process and rules of properly effectuating service. Find a pre-screened process server today. Visit www.servenow.com. Today's episode is brought to you by Legal Inc. Legal Inc. is empowering paralegals to embrace their inner legal rock star by automating the everyday tasks that hold them back. Through their free dashboard solution, paralegals can quickly and easily automate services like business formations, corporate filings, registered agent services, and more. Visit LegalInc.com to create a free account and check out LegalInc.com forward slash podcast for a chance to win Legal Rockstar swag. Welcome back to the Paralegal Voice. I'm Carl Morrison. My guest today is Keith Shannon, and we are discussing ethics and paralegals and the importance of ethics. And before we took a break, we were talking about acting in a professional manner and putting those interests of the clients before our own. But, you know, Keith, are there guidelines or rules out there that that truly apply directly to paralegals? So we're going to talk about those rules that a paralegal must follow. So let's first talk about the, what I call the big rules. <laughs> and those are the, the model rules of professional responsibility that the ABA, of course, produced a million years ago. Please do not test me on when they did it. Uh, I test my students, but I never can remember dates. So, um, <laughs> uh, um you know, attorneys have to follow these rules. And by default, we as paralegals, really, we got to follow them as well. So I'm going to do something really hard, Keith. I'm going to say, if you were only able to pick three model rules, what would you say are the top three rules that a paralegal should, or, or must follow? Not should, but must follow. If you can only have three rules, what would they be? <laughs> what do you think are the most important three? And that's a hard question. Yeah. <laughs> well... I think I already mentioned uh, maybe two of them, I think. The, the first one, and, and again, this is kind of cheating because I just happened to be talking about this rule last night in class. So, um, but, but the very first rule, 1.1, uh, competence. And, but but I, I think that's a, a, a really important rule, and people sort of skip over it because they think, well, competence has to do with malpractice. They don't realize that competence really is an ethical rule as well, that, that you shouldn't be taking something on that you are incompetent or that you're not competent to handle. And, you know, I've had attorney friends who've gotten into trouble. You know, they look at something and say, well, oh, I, I think I can handle a class action, or I think I can do a little bit of real estate or a little bit of bankruptcy you know, those very specialized areas where, you, where you're crazy to try to do a little bit of them because you get in trouble. And the, I think the same thing applies to a paralegal. If you are trying to do something for an attorney and you feel as though you're not competent, then, then you are ethically bound to try to get some help or to tell the attorney that you can't do it. And, and I know usually it, for a paralegal, it might just be someone who's starting out and who is, you know, in a new position and they're a little shy about asking for help. But, but I think it's a, you know, it's bigger than just an office procedures thing. I think it's an ethical issue. I think paralegals need to be competent to do the stuff that, that they're supposed to do. One of the other rules is the um, 
confidentiality rule. And I've talked about that as well. And I've seen time and time again where paralegals have, have not kept confidences. They have you know, walked through the halls of uh, a law firm and maybe shouted something to one another about a case or a client and, and other people who were in the office could hear them or they talk when they're in the elevator or, you know, I told you I was from a small town in eastern Kentucky. We couldn't even go out to eat and talk about anything with with within our office because the waitress or waiter might be related to somebody that the we would be talking about some case that we'd be talking about it was a small town if they they weren't related they knew them so i i think that is something that paralegals need to take really seriously and and that extends to the technology as well you know making sure that the technological you know encryption is there and that they're protecting things and then i guess the other one would be the unauthorized practice of law i think that that hits paralegals uh, pretty hard as well. I have students that, because that's also one of the the major things that I hit home, a uh, couple that and what you were just talking about in confidentiality, but I always tell students that, especially in the intro class, that you're going to, as you go through this program and when you graduate and when you get out there and, and are working as a paralegal, you are going to have friends and family that are going to come up and say, I have this situation and, you know, what do you think I should do? Well, I always tell students, I have family, they will ask me and I'll go, I can't answer that. That's, you know, I'm forbidden from, you know, giving legal advice. Well, I'm not asking for legal advice. I'm just thinking, I'm just asking for what you you think I should do. Well, if it is me taking the facts, <laughs> applying legal knowledge, and coming up with an opinion or direction, then that's legal advice, and I'm forbidden, and I can't do it. I love you. You're my sister. You're my brother. <laughs> you're my best friend, but I can't do it. I am forbidden from doing that. And students, it, it, it's kind of eye-opening for students when you say that to them because they're thinking, well, sure, I can just say, uh, even if I know the answer, I know exactly what they need to do. I still can't do it. I, I can direct you to an attorney right. um, and let them, you know, guide you. Because the second that you give advice and tell them one thing and they go do it and it's wrong, who are they going to come back to? Who are they going to blame? Who's right. going to get in trouble for it? Me. Or my attorney, yeah. even though my attorney knows nothing about it <laughs> because <laughs> I'm under the supervision of an attorney. I'm working for an attorney. And by yeah. default, they're responsible for me and my actions. Yeah. Um, confidentiality. Uh, just like you, um, I now live in Las Vegas, but before I lived in Tulsa, Oklahoma. And Tulsa's about half a million people. And I mean, it's not a big town, but it's not a small town either. But it, pretty much everybody knows, you know, most everybody. And just that same thing, I tell students that, you know, after work, you may be working on a class action uh, lawsuit with another paralegal that works in your office. So the two of you know you, you can freely talk with each other in the office behind closed doors about a case. But the second you go out for after work drinks and you start talking about a case, you never know who is sitting in the booth right behind you. Could be opposing counsel, could be, you know, the plaintiff, could be whomever. You can't do it. You have to watch, you know, 
what you say and where you say it. Even in the office, like you said, walking down the hall uh, and talking about it because you never know oh, yeah. who is right there. And some students, they go, oh, Mr. Morrison, you're just being ridiculous. No, <laughs> I'm trying to protect yourself, <laughs> trying to protect your hide. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you, you never know. I mean, you truly never know. It is a small world out there. And even if it weren't a small right. world... Um, I mean, the other people shouldn't know whether they're they have any connection with your clients. Nobody should know what you're, you know, what's going on. But, Correct. Uh, yeah, it. I could tell you some stories from from my hometown that would just make you faint uh, <laughs> with people who who went out and you know spilled the beans on something and didn't realize they were talking to someone who was a good friend of the opposing party or something like that. You know. I will tell you, I will correct you on one thing. You're, you're, when you say family and friends ask you for advice, that's true and even up to and including your parents. But the difference is if your parents were like mine, they would ask your advice and then you'd give it to them and then they would tell you you didn't know what you were talking about and then they would go on. <laughs> <laughs> now, you know, siblings are different, but, but your parents, they, you know, they diapered you. They, you know, they're just asking you to be polite. They're not going to... They're not going to take your advice anyway. <laughs> well, my mother was a lawyer. Um, God rest her soul. She's since deceased, but she was a lawyer. So, <laughs> oh. <laughs> no, she would not have taken my advice. <laughs> okay, so we talked about the model rules and talked about a little bit about those particular um, rules that a paralegal should follow. So let's talk about from the paralegal association aspect. So, of course, there are a couple of major paralegal associations, NALA and the National Federation of Paralegal Associations, NIFPA, that they too have codes of ethics for their paralegal members to follow. But what about those paralegals who are not members of any of the associations? Do you think non-members of an association, just the John Q. paralegal public, should still follow those or adhere to those canons? I think they ought to look at those as aspirational. I mean, they, they obviously have not taken any kind of oath saying that they will follow them. Uh, in, in North Carolina, we do have certification, voluntary certification, so to be a, a certified North Carolina paralegal. You have to uh, have some uh, a particular level of ed- education and pass an exam and then follow, you know, their their ethics rules including some CLE, but for paralegals who aren't members of those, I think they should still familiarize themselves with those codes of ethics because that that's an attempt to establish the standard in the industry. And and if they don't abide by that standard, there are people lined up ready to take their job who do abide <laughs> by those standards. Right. So it's going to be not, not just in the client's best interest, but it's going to be in their best interest to uh, look at those things. I, I think people should join, you know, NALA or NIFA or, or whatever uh, association, even the local paralegal association, just so that they'll have some sort of structure like that. But but they ought to look at those those ethics rules and um, try to figure out, you know, why, why are these things in place and, and how do they apply to be? One of my um, assignments in my intro class is to give paralegal students exposure to the different codes of ethics. And I give them a scenario 
It's a paragraph, two paragraphs long of a factual type scenario. And it's has it's riddled with ethical violations. And they have to go through and identify those violations. But they also have to go look at the codes, the, the canons for these associations and identify what canons, what codes were violated and why. And how would you do it? How would you not do it? And it, it's always a great exercise just because these students aren't, you know, they don't belong to an association. But just like you, I'm wanting them to be aspirational, to aspire to be the, the standard when it comes to uh, being an ethical paralegal. And I think it's important, even if you don't belong to an association. But like you, I say join. <laughs> join an association <laughs> uh, for a multitude of reasons, but one of which is your peers and to ensure that you are meeting the standards when it comes to the ethics and the, the codes and the canons. So let's talk about my favorite um, is the unauthorized practice of law or what most people, those newbies that are listening, it's called UPL. So, of course, the model rules and laws in, in states that say that a non-lawyer may not practice law. But I, I'm going to ask you, Keith, do you think the practice of law should be limited to lawyers? Do you think that paralegals should be regulated, like either licensing or certification, mandatory certification, et cetera? What do you think? I'd like to hear your opinion. And and that's that's kind of a tough one because, I, you know, as I'm sure you're aware that, that there is a movement now, like with uh, Washington State, uh, mm -hmm. they've got the their, uh, limited license legal technicians. I think. And right, then, yep. Uh, is it Utah that has yep, they Utah. just started some sort of uh, licensing as well? And so the, they're letting paralegals who, who have this, these designations do a limited amount of work. I, I think the one in Washington State is just limited to domestic, although they're, uh, you know, family law uh, stuff. And they're, they're able to help uh, clients fill out forms and kind of navigate the system. And I think they're trying to expand that, maybe. Uh, and I think Utah is Utah's is a little more expansive. Um, yeah, there. I think there are three areas. I can't can't remember what they are now. Yeah, you're so right. I, you know, I guess it boils down to what you think the practice of law is and how how far that extends. Um, because I'm I'm caught in the middle. I'm a lawyer who is also teaching paralegals. <laughs> so the lawyer side of me says, no, 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 wait. Um, you know, that's what we do. But then, you know, I'm teaching paralegals who I see they could do a certain amount of of that sort of stuff that the limited license technicians could do. So uh, it's tough. I think that, that the, the, the major area of the practice of law needs to be limited to lawyers. I mean, in terms of full-blown representation of somebody and giving legal advice you know, taking those those facts and, and applying legal principles to them, I think that still should be reserved for lawyers. Um, but there are other things that, that maybe paralegals could expand on and, and be able to do. And, and the only way you could do that would be by licensing and certification. You know, in North Carolina, anybody can call themselves a paralegal or a legal assistant, but you can't call yourself a North Carolina certified paralegal. Legal assistant, or well, I don't think that's North Carolina certified paralegal. And I, I like the idea of the certification program because it gives everybody 
who has one of those paralegals uh, the knowledge that that person has has passed a certain basic training. You know, uh, they've they've passed the test. They've had a certain amount of education, and I like that. But but I don't know that that North Carolina will ever kind of try to license or or certify every paralegal because we all know people who have not gone through that certification process who have been paralegals for 30 years and who are extremely competent and it wouldn't be fair to them to make them go through some sort of educational hoop just to call themselves what they've been calling themselves for the past 30 years. I agree with you 100%. Again, I I liken it to um, doctors, nurses, nurse practitioners that, you know, a doctor still is the one that's gone through the, the all the additional training and um, education to truly treat the entire patient, uh, but the nurse practitioner has additional knowledge that can help diagnose under or in, in concert with a um, physician, but they're not taking the place of a lawyer. They're limited on what they can and cannot do. And I, I think that's with you. I agree that there there right. are ways that um, paralegals can uh, assist in, in, in certification uh, type of, I hate to use the term regulation, but, uh, you know, having that certification does set um, the individual apart that they've uh, done the, the extra so that they can do a little more in the way of the substantive work. Okay, so I'm going to ask you another tough question. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and then I'll be nice. No, I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> what should a paralegal do? This is uh, uh, questions I get all the time from students, and I'm sure you do too. So what should a paralegal do if an attorney asks them to do something unethical? They, they have the core knowledge of ethics and the model rules, and an attorney asks them to do something unethical. What would you recommend a paralegal do? How should they respond? Wow. You know, that's kind of the $50,000 question, um, and it's the toughest one to answer. Well, it's in, in some yeah. ways it's the toughest, um, but in some ways it's the easiest as well. <laughs> if it's something that is, is slam dunk unethical, then I think the paralegal needs to refuse to do it. If it's clearly unethical, then the paralegal, paralegal needs to, to just say, no, I, I'm not going to do it. Now, that's easy for me to say because I'm not the paralegal. I'm not paying rent from the, that paralegal's salary. I, you know, uh, I'm not feeding my kids from that. I, it's kind of in a theoretical sense that's easy to say. There might be a way to back into it. I mean, if, a paral- if, if an attorney asks you to do something unethical, it's possible that he or, he or she doesn't know it's unethical. And so if the paralegal feels comfortable doing this, say, well, you know, that rings a bell. You know, this is the invisible fence time. You know, the caller's starting to beep. And you say, you know, that can we look at the ethics rules? Because I think that might not be correct. I think we may have to do something else. And that's probably the, you know, the easiest way to to kind of do it other than saying, no, you're an an unethical person and I'm not going to do it. Uh, it's it's possible that if if it's a you know not a clear line or something that the attorney just hasn't given a lot of thought, sit down with the attorney and and tell them why you think it's unethical and then go to the rule books. I mean, there's a lot of information out there, a lot of ethics opinions that address a lot of specific situations, 
and you can find those even if the the rules aren't clear there are a lot of those those opinions that get put out there and i think that's the the way to handle it you know otherwise i hate to say you know leave your job that's pretty that's pretty severe but but i don't think under any circumstances should you do anything that is clearly unethical what do you think <laughs> oh, oh, I've got a guest turning yeah. the question back on me. Well, yes. uh, <laughs> I, I, I'll be honest. I agree with you. And um, you made a point that I'm, I'm going to say, and not, not disparaging attorneys, but sometimes attorneys don't fully think through. And I tell students that that's our role is to help know the rules because sometimes the attorneys aren't thinking the ethical aspect and nothing against, but your mind is in helping the client or helping, you know, figure out and analyze the situation. And you may not be thinking the applicable ethical potential violation or rule that may, may affect. And so it's up to us as the paralegal to go, Hey, time out, wait, I think, think we're skating close to, you know, rule whatever. Mm -hmm. Do you mind if I pull this up and can we sit down with nine times out of 10, the attorney's going to go, oh, you know, I never thought about that. I've done it in the past, fully have said, "Ah, are you sure that's ethical? (laughs) Because it seems a little (laughs) shady to me. Should we look at the rules and, you know, had a good enough working relationship with the attorney that he or she was like, oh, sure, yeah, well, let's look at those. I didn't even think about that. Maybe you're right. I know we can do X, but maybe we can't do Y. And and we sit down and look at the commentary on the rules and figure it out. It's fine. It's It goes back to, do you know your attorney? How, much, how great of a relationship do you have? Don't always go off, and I tell students this, just don't always go, oh, my gosh, you're doing that wrong, and, and I'm going to report you. That's the wrong <laughs> response to have. <laughs> You know, stop and and think about how should I handle this? And if you've got, if you're working for a large law firm and you've got partners, there's a whole ethics committee that their whole role is to ensure that all the attorneys are following uh, the ethical rules. And if you're not comfortable talking to your own attorney, you may have another support to go to within your firm to talk to a senior partner, managing partner, whatever, to discuss the situation and just ensure that everyone's doing what they're supposed to be doing. Because to be honest, you're protecting your attorney's license. You don't want them to lose their license. Right. By default. Um, (laughs) (laughs) You're losing that. So Keith, we're running out of time here. So I got a fun final question for you. You've been given your own late night talk show. So who would you invite as your first guest and why? And it can be living or deceased. We can pretend that they come back from the dead, but who would you invite <laughs> as your first guest and why? Wow. I've been <laughs> listening to uh, these old Johnny Carson things on Sirius XM. Uh, they, they've been replaying oh, yeah. the audio from Johnny Carson. Uh, and that's, that's kind of amazing. But, uh, you know, this is going to sound like such a self-serving and wimpy kind of answer. And maybe it's just because... I'm I'm a proud dad or whatever, but but honestly, I think two of the most interesting people I know right now are my daughters. <laughs> <laughs> they are um, 
they're funny and they're you know one is 28 and one is 22 and and the older one's in the film business and the younger one is is an, uh, just got a theater degree and now she's getting an MBA and they are they are smart and funny and I, I've I've told you I do a podcast with the younger one and I you know I, I, she's so busy that sometimes. She said, "Well, Dad, just go ahead and do the episode without me." And and I've told her, I said, it, "Then then the episode just stinks. If it's just me, it stinks. You you make me, uh, you know, you bring out the best in me because you're funny and you're smart and and clever and you know both of them. So, you know, I know that's a wimpy answer and probably not the kind that is what you were looking for. But but I honestly, just being honest." Um, I'm I'm my happiest and and having the most fun and um and it you know brings out the best in me when I'm I'm with both of them. Well, Keith, you're an amazing father obviously and I I'm, I'm sure the your girls are very proud of you. So, uh, I that actually warms my heart and I just love that. So, um, I don't think that's a wimpy answer at all. Well, um Keith, thank you so much for being a guest on today's show. If any of the listeners wanted to get in touch with you, how would they do that? Well, I, my email at, at uh, Central Piedmont Community College is Keith, that's K-E-I-T-H, dot Shannon, S-H-A-N-N-O-N, at C-P-C-C, which is Central Piedmont Community College, dot E-D-U. So Keith dot Shannon at C-P-C-C dot E-D-U. Uh, I'm also on Twitter. I really like Twitter. For some reason, I learn a lot. I, I tell my students to get on there and and you know don't do the you know don't do the silly junk. But you can learn a lot about legal technology and a lot about legal writing and paralegals just by you know putting the right hashtags in on Twitter. So I'm there. I am at Keith Shannon eight. Uh, so there are seven others. <laughs> um, I, I have a feeling that one of those seven is probably still me. I had an old account. <laughs> Uh, years ago, and I, I've forgotten the password, but uh, I'm at Keith Shannon 8. And so that's uh, that's probably the best way you can find me. I've got a contact page at CPCC as well that, that has, you know, address and stuff like that. But I'm always happy to talk to people, and, uh, you know, I love talking about this stuff. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm happy to meet, meet listeners and other people who, who are interested in, in uh, the paralegal world. Well, Keith, thank you so much. I, I greatly appreciate you taking time out of your busy schedule to, to talk about this important topic, and we can probably have a 10-parter uh, series on ethics. So um, <laughs> thank you, Keith, so much. Greatly appreciate it. Thank you. That is all the time we have for today's podcast, so be sure and tune in to next, next month's episode, and truly stay tuned for Paralegal News and Announcements. We'll be right back. This episode of The Paralegal Voice is brought to you by courtfiling.net, your solution for electronic filing in California, Illinois, Indiana, and Texas. Courtfiling.net provides a better e-filing experience so you can spend more time helping clients. Because they know that work sometimes happens after hours, courtfiling.net offers 24-7 phone, email, and chat support. Visit courtfiling.net to receive 30 days of unlimited free electronic filings and see how you too can e-file court documents with ease. Nella offers continuing education, professional development, and voluntary certification for all paralegals. The certified paralegal credential has been awarded to more than 19,000 paralegals. 
The Certified Paralegal Program is also the first paralegal certification program accredited by the National Commission for Certifying Agencies. NALA works actively with all those in the legal field to promote the value of paralegals and to advance paralegal professionalism. Learn more about NALA at www.nala.org. Welcome back. It's Halloween time. It's October. And we typically, at this point, come to the segment that's called The Listener's Voice. I wanted to kind of change it up a little bit, throw you guys off um, a little bit. Of course, I always i am going to have my listener's voice. Always send your questions and comments to me at devotedtolaw at gmail.com. That's D-E-V-O-T-E-D, the number two, L-A-W at gmail.com. Keep the questions coming. I love it. Love it, love it, love it. But I wanted to just briefly um, tell you guys, recently I took a trip with a very dear um, paralegal friend of mine to London. And um, we even came up with our own hashtag. It was hashtag Parabrits. That's P-A-R-A-B-R-I-T-S, Parabrits. And, of course, British paralegals, you know, of course. And um, we did all the regular London touristy things that you do when you go. But we're both law nerds. We both love the law. And so we went, uh, not your traditional tourist location to go to, but we went to the Royal Courts of Justice, which is um, Great Britain's highest court. Uh, You can kind of call it their Supreme Court. Funny thing is, ironic, uh, when we were there literally two years prior, I had been at the United States Supreme Court. So almost exactly at the same day, I met two years later uh, at another uh, different country's Supreme Court, which was really interesting. But we got there and the um, court, they weren't having any uh, hearings. So we weren't able to actually go in and listen to oral arguments in, in any actions because it was a special day that the courts go to West, or the, the justices go to the Westminster Abbey and they do this big um, pomp and circumstance deal. Anyway, so we got to the courthouse, and just like any other regular courthouse, uh, other than it was absolutely gorgeous, it, it had a security desk and told them that we were paralegals from the United States and, and were there on holiday, and we just wanted to kind of walk around if we could. And they said, absolutely. Um, in fact, they had a little map to walk around and tour different things and see different Uh, paintings and sculptures and different things. And one of the things that we saw, which was just absolutely fascinating, was there's a particular statue in the main lobby area of uh, the Royal Courts of Justice, and it's a a statue of a particular justice, um, Blackstone. And for you law nerds out there, Blackstone, many, many moons ago, wrote uh, commentary, legal commentary on different laws and things. And the United States court system relies and relied a lot on Blackstone's commentary and um, for various issues, legal issues. And there's this statue, beautiful marble, marble statue, and there's this picture, photograph taken in the 30s that is showing the installation of this particular statue. And it was the American Bar Association actually had gifted this particular statue to uh, Great Britain 
and in honor of Blackstone. And it was just kind of fascinating to see the connection of our legal system and how much a particular jurist in uh, UK meant to us. So it was really neat to see that. They also had, and I, of course I had to pick up this brochure, about the King's College in London is actually doing in January a online free online course about how much do you know about UK judges. And it's developed uh, in collaboration with this particular King's College in London and the Judiciary of England and Wales about the structure of the legal system, how judges reach decisions and approach sentencing, things of that nature. And you can go on and, and register for it for free. So me being the big nerd, what do you think I did? I went online immediately and <laughs> registered to do it. So stay tuned. I'm going to talk more about it. I'll let you guys know once I get started into it. And maybe I might have a little segment about the British judiciary. Hmm. So stay tuned. I might have a little segment on that uh, after the first of the year. So that's all the time we have um, today for the Paralegal Voice. Uh, again, you have any questions about today's show, of course, email them to me at devotedtolaw at gmail.com. And of course, stay tuned for more information in upcoming podcasts for exciting paralegal trends, news, and engaging and fun interviews from leading paralegals and other leading legal professionals. Thank you for listening to The Paralegal Voice, produced by the broadcast professionals at Legal Talk Network. If you'd like more information about today's show, please visit LegalTalkNetwork.com, find Legal Talk Network on Twitter, Facebook, and LinkedIn, or download Legal Talk Network's free app in Google Play and iTunes, and reminding you that I'm here to enhance your passion and dedication to the paralegal profession and make your paralegal voice heard. See you soon. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by Legal Talk Network, its officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, or subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer. The Lunch Hour Legal Marketing Podcast, your resource for the tips and tactical advice you need to grow your business. Plus, keep up with the news and commentary you crave to stay one step ahead. It's hosted by me, Guy Sakalakis. And me, Conrad Song. Every other week, we break down the issues holding back your marketing strategy and talk about the changes you need to be prepared for. Check out the Lunch Hour Legal Marketing Podcast wherever you get your podcasts or on YouTube.